Good evening. This is the Kaiju Transmissions Podcast. I am Kyle Bird, and I am joined by my co-host... Matt Parmley. Uh, and today, uh, we have uh, some some guest hosts with us. Um, we have uh, one of uh, several who are basically in the unofficial revolving door of third guest host we have kevin uh who's back um who you may know from the mazer patrol blog and uh, the book kaiju for hipsters welcome welcome back you don't need an introduction at this point here yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh that ominous cackle you heard is making his podcast debut i guess although i guess we're recording two shows tonight and this is probably not going to be this is probably going to come out after that one but um in what do they say in tv in production order order. yeah in production order making his podcast debut is jared faust is it faust like the uh am i saying that right yeah, you're, you're saying that right. All it's, right, excellent. Faust, exactly where you're going with that, with uh, the guy who sold the soul to the devil. Yes, um, who, <laughs> uh, it, it, I don't know, what what are you uh, known for besides obnoxious social media behavior? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you, you pro- a lot of people listening would probably be familiar um, if, although it's been a few years, probably... S- Seeing you in the G Fest Artist Alley and uh, you know posting some art somewhere, um, but yeah. also I want to I want to give you an opportunity to kind of plug your um, you know your current ventures also. Um, I, I I consider myself a filmmaker, um, but I also do illustration work. Um, just kind of kind of whatever art interests me, um, but primarily. Uh, uh, handmade special effects work, tokusatsu style stuff, kaiju, uh, miniatures. I'm obsessed with miniatures. So my, my current thing is called Xenofauna. Uh, and I mostly focus on my Instagram right now, but I'm doing a little, like, little micro shorts for my Instagram using um, all handmade effects. No CG, uh, not even any like really green screen. Um, I, even, I even went and did my logo completely practically. Um, instead of doing like a motion graphic, and so, uh, is any of your older stuff still lurking around? Uh, I have a reel that is uh, has some of my older pieces, uh, clips from it. Um, there's a couple music videos that I worked on that can be found, and I actually have been pulling up some of my old fake trailers to prep them to put them back out there okay because I, uh, I remember you had your ultraman fan parodies and yeah things like my, that once my, upon a time my ultraman fan films are are no longer out there there's a, a short film that was very high quality production but not a very good short film overall that i think is fine that it just exists in my reel now is just like the special effects scenes well maybe you should let the public decide if it's any good or not Oh, well, uh... <laughs> you sound like uh, June Fukuda. Everything I made for Godzilla sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time, but no. That, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure the public decided. Trust me. <laughs> where can uh, where can people like if they wanted to to look up your stuff? Is there a place they can find your your videos or 
Uh, right now, uh, my Instagram handle is Xenofauna. That's X-E-N-O-F-A-U-N-A. Um, and the same goes for Vimeo, YouTube, and Twitter, and Facebook. So, um, But right now, I'm mostly active on Instagram, and I'm doing little short films that are like, you know, a minute long, just to kind of play around with effects, you know, especially in quarantine, because it's not like I can get any actors together anymore. <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, we have congregated today to uh, discuss the 2013 film Jellyfish Eyes, directed by a fellow named Takashi Murakami, who is uh, a contemporary artist, so uh, not a filmmaker, and we'll discuss why that is or it may not have been uh, is beneficial to, to this project. But uh, um, I'll, I'll give uh, my best kind of um, summation of why, what people might be familiar with, and then Kevin, I'll, I'll let Kevin kind of fill in the gaps. But uh, like I said, he's a contemporary artist. Honestly, chances are if you Google his name, you'll probably find either some artwork or music videos or um, album covers that you might recognize. Um, he's partnered with a lot of uh, um, people in, in the hip-hop and pop music communities. Uh, he's designed album art for Kanye West. Um, he's done music videos for Billie Eilish and uh, Pharrell Williams, who actually has a music video featuring the, the creatures from this movie. Um, uh, and, uh, a lot of his art, um, in Japan, um, focuses on different aspects of Japanese pop culture, um, that does include, you know, kaiju and tokusatsu, which he's a big fan of, um, but yeah, I guarantee you, if you Google his name, you'll be like, oh, I've seen this, or I've seen this drawing, or this character, and, uh, to kind of give you a little bit more specifics, I'll, I'll pass the, the mic over to Kevin now, because uh, for the record, he did do something like four or five years ago, um, a Mazer Patrol podcast all about this movie that, like, for the first hour or so, is really like a big deep dive into his actual work. So if you want to learn more about the guy and uh, the other things, um, go back and dig up that Mazer Patrol uh, podcast because they they really get into to him but yeah kevin is there anything else that uh you'd like to say about him that i might not have touched on or or maybe uh other things people might know him from uh yeah basically the big thing is and i will clarify that in that uh, maser patrol episode it was mostly justin mullis doing the explaining while i sat there and and didn't contribute much because I haven't been a, a huge fan of, of Murakami. That happens when uh, when you get Justin uh, <laughs> <laughs> together <laughs> together with us, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, he 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 did a lot uh, of research. Yeah, I, I was kind of aware of Murakami's work because I have some friends that were very into his stuff uh, before Jellyfish Eyes was even announced or anything. Uh, and then when it was, and, and sort of his trailers were coming up, it was really interesting to me to see the kaiju fandom being kind of completely apathetic about this new Japanese monster movie coming out while sort of my like 
artsy fartsy friends were just losing their minds. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I, I had a little bit of a of a disconnect there, and I, I I appreciate the movie. I can understand to some extent why uh, why some people might not. I have a feeling that we might have a have a bit of a of a conversation about that coming coming further in this episode but uh basically murakami's whole thing is he's 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 about um sort of encapsulating the totality of japanese pop culture he has this mentality of super flat where there's not really a high art and a low art for him where it's all kind of like put together into a blender and he really he likes the um the more i guess uh populist pieces of pieces of artwork and he likes to recontextualize them and he you know he'd be the type of person that would want to put you know astro boy into a museum or um godzilla or maybe something that's less uh well thought of like pokemon you know <laughs> um and i i guess uh just there's not too much to say about the development of this particular movie, although I do think we are going to probably dive into what we know about the recently announced cancellation of the sequel. Um, but yeah, his whole thing is, um, uh, as a contemporary artist, you know, like a lot of contemporary artists, he he is kind of um, uh, someone that is really trying to expand and branch into multiple mediums, which is why, you know, he works with all these musicians. And likewise, that is why he decided one day, hey, I'm going to make a feature film. You know, I, even though he hasn't directed anything, I, I think that, and we'll probably get into <laughs> into it, uh, he, he doesn't have uh, a lot of... It, he doesn't seem to know much about... Uh, the financing aspect of, of movie making. Um, but yes, he, 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 he decided to make a movie, um, and he wanted it to be very broad kind of populist entertainment for children. Um, and, uh, and him being who he is, you know, this movie is available, uh, very easily in the United States. It is, um, uh, on a Blu-ray and DVD from Criterion, also streaming on the Criterion channel. Um, and, you know, I think their acquisition of this title is because he is who he is. You know, he's, he's a relevant uh, artist. Now, um, from what I understand, this movie was largely uh, self-financed. I mean, um, just you know, naming some of the people he's partnered with. I mean, the guy has money, so I he he decided to make this thing. Um, I know for us, uh, it's, especially now that there's, like, kind of... Um, he's been putting out on Instagram uh, in little segments this documentary about uh, the cancellation of Jellyfish Eyes 2, and it also gets into things with Jellyfish Eyes 1, and you you get to see... Um, they, they got all these top practical effects guys, uh, one of the big names is Kiyotaka Taguchi, um, you know, doing all these, uh, practical, uh, animatronics and monster suits and 
things like that. And then in the middle of production, he was just like, uh, you know, I, I, I want them to move a little smoother, so we're just going to scrap all this and do everything CG, um, which from what I've heard um, from people that may or may uh, not have been around at the time, um, <laughs> that was a big point of contention between Taguchi and Murakami, and they, they did not, he what they didn't, he wasn't very happy with that choice. Um, but yeah, I mean, they got through half of this thing and d- did that, and then, um, you know, the sequel, like, they, they filmed a crap ton of it, and then this movie came out and bombed, and so they went back and I think they started over, and it's just a wild, wild money spending. Um, and, uh, as for... The movie itself, uh, I guess we can get, we'll get into more of the subtext, because there is a lot of subtext, especially in regards to Fukushima, but to give us a brief plot synopsis, I'm going to go ahead and guess Kevin is probably the biggest fan of this movie out of the the three of us, so I'm going to let him handle that. Um, So Kevin, tell us what exactly uh, these jellyfish eyes are all about. Uh, sure. So the the general outline of the story is actually probably going to sound relatively familiar if you've ever seen the <laughs> a great Yokai War or Totoro <laughs> or Letter to Momo, uh, where you have this uh, this young boy uh, Masashi, and he is uh, moving with his mom out from a uh, from a refugee camp after after the tsunami, uh, and they're moving out to the countryside. And uh, so he is kind of the outsider there, but he, you know, goes to a new school. And uh, upon arriving in this this new location, he meets up with a with a cute little monster character that becomes his friend. So there's this sort of jellyfish like creature called a uh, karagebo, and uh, and the two you know kind of kind of make friends with each other. Um, but then the uh, then the genre shifts because. When he uh, he's at school, he finds that all of his classmates also have little monster friends, and they they battle each other. So this is kind of like uh, oh, TV tropes would call it the Mons, like uh, like Digimon <laughs> or Pokemon. Um, so there's a there's more to this that basically all of these kids have these monsters because there's a, a sinister organization uh, in their town's local. Um, secret lab of sorts uh, that has been handing out devices to to the children to basically gather all of their spiritual uh, emotional energy as 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 they uh, they fight one another and they were using it for either preventing they say they're using it to prevent a calamity it certainly seems like they're trying to use it to trigger a calamity but maybe that's the same thing and and just a semantic difference but uh so you have sort of a range of of kid characters who all have their own sort of uh emotional baggage going on who who kind of come together to to save the day uh at the end uh as a as a big super monster breaks out at the the, uh the finale and uh goes on a rampage and the, the two factions fight each other out so that's a, a high-level overview of the plot. Yeah, well done. 
Um, <laughs> you know, uh, one thing I didn't mention is that because he's not a filmmaker, um, I guess he's uh, friends with um, uh, Yoshihiro Nishimura, who was like, yeah, you know, I can help you make a movie. And he's mostly known for a lot of those crazy, over-the-top splatter movies like uh, Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl and uh tokyo gore did he do tokyo gore police was that him he did okay so um so yeah interesting that he would kind of help foster a a children's movie but he edited the thing uh he worked on the screenplay um kind of kind of assistant director also yeah Uh, supervising director yeah Um, murakami said he pivoted to him a lot (laughs) which is probably like Part yeah, of the, he, like, hey, I, I don't really know how to direct. Can you like <laughs> help? <laughs> yeah, in the in the behind the scenes, it's uh, Nishimura is doing a lot of the like quote unquote like film legwork, while uh, Murakami is just kind of doing all the creative drawing decisions. But like you know, action cut, you know, setting up a lot of the shots seem to be a lot of Nishimura. <clears throat> Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of familiar elements from a lot of Japanese children's entertainment that deals with, you know, cute little monsters and things like that. Uh, the movie itself, I I think is pretty, I don't know, I mean, I know it's designed to be very broad appeal, populist stuff, and... And, but, you know, even then, I, I feel like it's still very, you know, on the on the kind of generic end. Um, however, to me, the most interesting thing about it is the ki- is is tackling the kind of post Fukushima Japan stuff. And uh, I think the movie, I think it re- it it really try- tries to kind of tackle, you know, from the viewpoint of a child, you know, uh, the grief of living through that situation. Um, do they say that the, the kid, uh, Masashi, do they say that, uh, his dad died in the, yeah. In his the, dad yeah. Died during okay. The that's what I, that's what I figured. Is his dead dad played by the same actor who was the dead dad in great yokai war. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and the live dad with the dead wife from camera, the brave. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. It's, it's kind of, it's, it, to me, I kind of saw it as like the inverse of Gamma of the Brave in many ways. Right. Yeah. Uh, that that's not. And Gamma of the Brave is another one where this. Uh, there are definitely some some points of comparison. Um, mm-hmm. But I and and that it you know it is interesting to see a kids movie with that perspective of you know hey this is the grief of a child who lost someone. In Fukushima, I, I actually think that um, his friend—I forget the little girl's name—but I actually think her her story is kind of even more interesting because in her, we don't get a lot of it, but her backstory has, has she has this subplot where her mom is has kind of joined um, this neo-religious cult, um, and it's interesting. Uh, we we just reviewed the Japan Sinks anime, which also dealt with that and um there was after fukushima this kind of rise in these uh niche you know neo-religions that are fairly modern um and japan sinks treats it with a little more nuance but in this they're they're 
they're portrayed as like full blown crazy cult, like doom doomsayers. Um, and, uh, I'm sorry. Well, oh, good. That's the, that's the knee jerk reaction that most Japanese are going to have after 1995 to yeah. to cults, and this yeah, is really okay. one of the first films to address this sort of thing post Fukushima as well. So. Yeah, they literally in the in the making of they literally compare the cult to uh, the Alm uh, Shinrikyo, um, the the cult that did the the sarin gas attacks. Mm, yeah, we meant yeah we mentioned that on our Japan Sinks episode too. Like, mm. um, so yeah, the this definitely takes a much more has a more a, a more negative spin on it. Um, you know, especially like the 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 girl's mom is just portrayed as being completely brainwashed, basically. Yeah. Um, and did did she did she, did she have a dead father as well? I don't. Rem- it's been a little while since I watched this at this point. Did yeah? I don't think your father's ever mentioned. Yeah, I don't remember ever seeing yeah. him. So my, the, my that's my assumption. I so in the behind the scenes, which I just watched. A couple hours ago, uh, they mentioned that her father is a very wealthy businessman who very rarely comes home. Okay, interesting. So, basically, dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you have you have you have this kind of this support and wealth, I guess, for the mother to kind of be able to attend these meetings all the time. They also describe the mother as like you're you're a very smart person who never would have thought she'd be caught up in a cult. Yeah. You know. Just part of why her conviction is so strong, I guess. Yeah, and, like, and, and, yeah. <laughs> well, we we've seen in America over the last four years uh, <laughs> that is yeah. something that yeah. that yeah. has happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the cult thing's really interesting because he mentions uh, uh, Munakami also mentioned that you know one of the reasons he self financed the movie was because he figured. You know the the cult elements would either be removed in a more commercial version or downplayed significantly. Yeah, studios or, might not be comfortable addressing it. Yeah, which I thought that was really interesting for for yeah. all my complaints with the film. But the, I, again, like I do think a lot of the film has a good instinct going mm-hmm. behind it. Yeah, I can see that too. You know, I mean, uh, je- I feel like universally movie studios are kind of walk into a lot of things with the same mentality you know and especially after fukushima with more and more people being adopted into these groups i could see how you know a toho or a a shochiku or something might be like hey you know we can probably not address this (laughs) remember at at g fest when uh shortly after um after the disaster uh higuchi was telling us that like they couldn't make any disaster movies in Japan for a while. Mm-hmm. So, like, the fact that they were able to do anything with, with this kind of material was um, impressive at the time. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't, it, and I, I don't, I know, like, politically, there's stuff we had that addressed 9-11, but I don't remember, I feel like the first movie that was really kind of comfortable tackling 9-11, like, head-on, aside from, you know, um, World Trade Center and... Uh, the Greengrass one, um, flight, you know, whatever. Um, aside from those, I feel like the first, at least, like genre movie that was really comfortable embracing that was probably 
uh, Spielberg's War of the Worlds, which I think that was '05. You know, so yeah. that's that's still quite a few years after. And even then, I don't. I think it 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 wasn't until after Cloverfield that more movies were kind of like more willing to dip their their feet into it. Yeah. Uh, well, and you know, I, the other thing uh, I, Nishimura mentioned in the going back to the behind the scenes again, like one of the, one of the things was literally like no one's making movies like this. No one's really making many movies at all right now, and it was just kind of like let's just like now's the time to make a movie. Like people will have to pay attention to us, which didn't happen. Is not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, okay, like that's an interesting point, I guess. And I also think that that kind of backfired on him too because I know one of my issues with the thing is that it feels like there's very pre-production was kind of a mess. Um, yeah. Cuz the you know, they 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 literally it was months after 311 that they started pre-production on this. And then they shot it in the summer of 2011 because they realized that the kids were going to be back in school come the fall. So they had to shoot it on the summer break. So like literally, you know, in just the, in a couple of months leading up to summer break, they're doing pre-production on the movie. Which is nuts. <laughs> yeah. And then production was insane, like I said, with removing all the practical effects and then replacing them with digital effects mm -hmm. and you know i it it sounds like the operation wasn't uh running efficiently no. <laughs> i would say um and uh i, I mean the the i the the creature designs and things are all pretty um interesting you know they're all pretty original and uh, I should also mention the one practical creature we do get is um, the little girl's f uh, friend. Uh, it's like a big, hairy, Bigfoot kind of where the wild things are looking thing. Like a big shaggy dog. Is it, is it Luxor? Luxor? I don't know. Luxor? 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 Uh, yeah, Luxor. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I love I love that thing. Um, it, it's kind of it's a little weird given how everything else is this very like ethereal CG. Well, not quite everything else. Well, there yeah, there is the one little panda <laughs> for what half a second. Well, you know, <laughs> spoilers for uh, for for one of the one of the ones that shows up later. Oh, okay. I don't even remember what he's talking now? about. I don't, I don't, like... Well, and have you ever listened to one of our shows? We spoil everything. Oh, I just, well, <laughs> so Kevin, Kevin is being really coy right now, and so I just, I just want to know. Well, <laughs> well, this is where we usually... This is where, well, <laughs> that's, that's what's important. I think it's, you know... I, I, I don't want to give things away for the folks that would actually want to, uh, to check this out, so... Um, okay. there, there, there is another, there is another practical creature... I don't even know what he's talking about, and I've seen the movie. <laughs> I really, I really, I, I really want to discuss this now. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, us being a kaiju podcast, we should mention. You know, I don't know if I'd call this a kaiju movie. You know, it's a kaiju movie in the way you know, um, like I don't know, the Mysterians might be, or 
you, you know, at the end, you have your giant monster, uh, which is Oval, who is uh, an oddly phallic-looking uh, <laughs> thing with... Uh, he's covered in eyeballs, and it's honestly a pretty cool design. Um, yeah, I dig it. Uh, Very unique. Looking at the... The uh, the original footage with the suit and the the miniatures, you know, obviously I I'm bummed out about all that. But I I I really I I do like that monster, and uh, overall, just the designs are are really creative. Like I can under I can see that this was made by someone with a unique, um, very uh, unique uh, um, personal artistic vision or, or style yeah and some of the things are straight out of his his previous work like uh, miss coco was was something that was previously established is that the one that's uh like the sailor moon riff one yeah that the, the kid the, has the, towards the end yeah. that made that's the um the hikikomori kid has yeah, is the, yeah that, there's like a video game character that owns everything yeah, and isn't that that kid has kind of an interesting story, right? Isn't he just like yeah. living in an abandoned building or something, he's like, like in a library or something? When they, he doesn't like, want to go to school. He's yeah, like, he just kind of shows up. I, I I kept I kept calling him Pot Device Kid in my head. Uh, well, there's a there's a major you know uh, social problem of people that kind of drop out of society and just live as shut-ins, and they have been. You know, basically, for the past 20 years, that's been a, a major social ill in Japan. Oh, this sure. kid seems very young for that. Like, I feel like he, his parents should probably be making him go to school, but yeah. <laughs> maybe that's just me. I mean, yeah, I kind of I kind of get the Hikikomori, like, vibe off of it, but it was just kind of like he just sort of dropped into the plot all of a sudden, and then... I, I don't know. I just it, that was that was one of the elements where like especially like right when he came in was where I just felt the movie just things just kind of just started happening. Right. <laughs> I couldn't really figure out why anymore. Yeah. The, um, the, the 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 yeah. That's where like I think like the stuff with that kid and um the bad guys that work in this I guess I don't know generic science facility. And wear these like black uh, capes. The, they're called the black the black cloaked four. Um, and and uh, Masashi's uncle works for them, and they're the ones that are trying to harness the kids, you know, um, uh, sadness and grief and negative emotions. Yeah. And um, like we know what they're doing, and but we're never really sure why. I don't know who they are. I don't know if they're a branch of government or a, I don't know anything about them. Um, they all seem way too young to have the jobs that they have, uh, which, and I don't know if that's like a cultural reference to some, I, I have like that. I was, I felt completely in the dark on, on that, which is like the crux of the main conflict. And, I don't know. I mean, Murakami even said, like, yeah, I realize the f this movie doesn't make... He does the thing... I mean, hell, half of Hollywood does. I, I realize the first movie, you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we're going to answer all these questions in the sequel. Like, <laughs> he pulled that, and, you know, now we're never going to have those. So, I, he, he, he committed, like, the cardinal sin of 
making a movie, which is don't just assume there's going to be a sequel. And so well, now and- I'm confused, and I, we will always be confused. We'll never know what the deal is. <laughs> that, that makes me think because, like one of, one of the things you know when like when you're doing films, especially you're doing independent films, and when you're doing your first films, don't you know, assume you're gonna have a sequel. <laughs> well, there's that, but there's also like like one of the big pieces of advice that you know people are always giving like young and new up and up and coming filmmakers. Um, you know, whatever your idea is, go smaller, go smaller, keep going. Keep, you, like you don't, you think you're, you think it's small. It's not keep going, you know, and Murakami is coming, you know, into this, into filmmaking from this position as like an art world superstar. Uh, and he doesn't have that advice and he has the funds to go forward with this gigantic thing. You know, and so it, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of a case study in, it's kind of a movie that I would love to show people whenever you're you're giving them the advice of, like, please start smaller. <laughs> right. You know, because it's just like, wow, yeah, no, this is, this is exactly what would happen if you had those funds, you know. Yeah, uh, and, and, um... Yeah, I mean, uh, he uh, he's talked a lot. Of, like, uh, I guess he originally envisioned it as a trilogy. Yes. And um, we can talk a little bit about the second one at some point. All I know is that in the third one, he said the the uncle would be the villain, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. That yeah, that would have been interesting. But we we you know we're not gonna get to see <laughs> how that plays out. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was because yeah the 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 website they had for the longest time they they had uh, part one, part two, and part three, and they were updating all three at the same time. Um, cause they were all in different stages of production. Um, and it was all very weird, but like, like back in 2011, 2012, I was, I was following those websites kind of religiously cause I was really fascinated by the project and I didn't actually wind up watching it until this week because then it came out and got incredibly mixed reviews and I just, well, also you, know. you being a tokusatsu guy, you know, the idea that they scrapped all that and replaced it with that, CG, you know, that's yeah, not very appealing either. <laughs> no, it's not. That that was that was a big a big part of it. I think if the movie had if if it had still gotten really good reviews, I still probably would have checked it out a lot sooner, but like I I was really excited for it cuz I mean even even with all the CG that was put over it, like when the trailer came out, I'm like, "Oh, this still looks really cool." And and at that point it wasn't really clear to what degree the practical effects had been removed. Mm-hmm. They hadn't really talked about that much at that stage. And they slated uh, Taguchi, who's like your hero. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, no. and that, yeah, and that was, that was the other thing, because you know, when I found out about the movie, it was shortly after Taguchi was brought on. And they had like some pictures of some of the tokusatsu filming, and I was just like, oh shit, like, you know. Um, yeah, and this was... <clears throat> This was during the era of all the like parodies, you know, and, and kind of that, that kind of dead zone after Gamera the Brave. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, it's like, oh, wow. It's like, it, it definitely looks like an indie, but like it looks like a much more polished indie than some of the stuff you'd usually expect. You have Taguchi on, which at this point, you know, I'd seen Gihara and the trailer and making of for G. You know, I'm like, well, that's crazy. That's awesome. That's that's great. You know, and the fact that I like I, I keep saying, I think the instinct, like this idea to do like a children's monster movie, 
in the aftermath of Fukushima, I think it's a really fascinating concept. Yeah. Um, and, it, and just this kind of artistic bent uh, that we hadn't really been seeing in kaiju since, I mean, not in a long time. Not really in the 2000s with the exception of like GMK and Gamera the Brave to an extent, you know. Yeah. Um, so I just, I, yeah, I thought this, I, this, the, the, the very artistic place it was coming from was something I really, really responded to. And so that's, that's a big part of my disappointment is just like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, a, a lot of people were, you know, uh, especially when Criterion picked it up, a lot of people were just livid that, that you know, uh, yeah. why, why is, why are we, why do we have to you know uh, lower ourselves to, <laughs> to this? <laughs> and I, like I thought it was funny. Like even like even Lloyd Kaufman hated it, and he was um he was actually the person that brought uh, Totoro, Tot- yeah, was initially. So yeah, people forget <laughs> Troma was the original distributor of Totoro. What what did he have to say about it? Like, where did he talk about it? Uh he uh, he talked about it on one of his blogs. Okay. Um, been a while since since i actually read his review but he probably saw it at a festival or something yeah um but well i mean in his defense also this this movie is not my neighbor totoro (laughs) (laughs) fair enough i mean like when when i first saw the reviews a lot of them were were kind of like why would murakami lower himself to this children's monster movie and like there is a certain a certain curve i feel like you have to grade films in the kaiju uh genre on or, or rather like understanding like what the reviews are so, like reading between the lines of the reviews because i feel like a lot of people do not give them their their due credit many times but you could say that case, with just kind of kids movies in general a lot of the the absolutely, time you yeah. know i, I mean i i, think- I I'm sure for the audience that this was made for, I'm sure if if people had actually gone to see it, <laughs> I'm you know I'm sure it would have you know I, I'm sure it would have I'm sure kids would have liked it a lot. Yeah. Where did you I watch this with your like daughter? Probably I did not. Marketing it towards kids properly because all of the like tie-in merchandise I ever saw was like you know little little niche gallery type of type of things and what they should have been doing is you know putting out happy meal crap yeah right yeah, yeah exactly, I, I don't exactly right yeah i'm not exactly sure if there well, was much of anything like i feel like i've seen some novelty <laughs> items like i've seen murakami do interviews wearing like a a hat of the jellyfish boy or they call it kurogi yeah which means jellyfish boy in japanese why i don't know why it's translated literally and not like i don't understand that but uh but yeah i i don't know why that thing wasn't everywhere uh well i think part of it if i remember correctly i mean it's this little indie film and they were looking for a distributor for a while and when gaga picked it up i remember it was kind of kind of a quiet acquisition because they'd taken forever to find a distributor gaga picks it up and then they're like uh i guess we'll release this and then they don't really put a lot into marketing i guess maybe because they saw the movie and didn't think it was very good um that's kind of the feeling that i got from the way 
they kind of farted it out in the theaters. And, I'm like, wondering <laughs> if I'm wondering if instead of really playing it up as a, I mean, it was a, a, like you watch the trailer; it's clear it's a children's movie. But I mean, I don't know that it was really. I wasn't there. I, I'm just guessing. But I'm wondering if you know, was it you know, were they playing those ads during kids shows or were they? It, trying to skew it more towards Murakami's audience, which probably was not the best idea if that's what they did. All the English language stuff that I've seen was focused on Murakami, like, oh, Murakami's making a movie kind of a thing, and everyone, you know, that was part of the, the, the negative reaction of the English speaking was like, what the fuck is Murakami doing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but as far as, as far as I can tell with Gaga, and this is, partially speculation, partially my foggy rememberings of when it got picked up. But yeah, it was just this little indie release with very little marketing and like a two-day theatrical run because it did so poorly. Um, you know, it, it kind of makes me think of, we talked about this the other day um, regarding Godzilla 2000. Like my only recollection of Godzilla 2000's marketing when it came out for the three weeks it was out is someone told me there was a TV spot they saw <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the movie was gone and I you know I didn't even think about it again until the VHS showed up and and you know, I kind of think it was kind of a situation like that where they just kind of dumped it out in the theaters and didn't care um, and normally I feel like when I'm describing something like that, I feel like it's a, it's a big injustice. And I think in this case, it wasn't really. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in fairness, like if I were a parent and saw that Murakami was doing a children's movie or a movie that my children wanted to see and I, you know, okay, let's, let's go on Google, see what else, else he's done. Like there's, <laughs> yeah. there's some shit, man. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah. I, I, like, I, I did a Google thing and there's, there's some stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh, I mean, the idea that Gaga put out like 17 movies that year and Jellyfish Eyes was the lowest. 34 uh, movies that year. Oh my God. <laughs> and yes, it was, it was the last place movie of all, of all 34. Wow, um, yeah, I, I I think it's uh, yeah, I, I think the storytelling definitely could have been refined. Um, you know, visually, I mean, aside from the creatures and stuff, there's not really much that pops out. I guess, um, but that being said, you know the the creatures and the little Pokemon battles and stuff are those are all pretty entertaining. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think I think those are those are generally pretty fun. Um, but like, I I feel like I kind of still had this kind of a, a disconnect going, you know, because um, I just I wasn't feeling engaged. It was like I don't really understand what's going on and. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like, like, even stuff like like a lot of the set dressing, I thought, was kind of off. Um, and, uh, you know, I, the cinematography, I thought, was, you know, even, even for, like, an independent Japanese movie, which I, you know, they have a look to them that I, I feel like can be kind of a, an acquired taste to people who are used to, like, Hollywood movies. And that's a look that I generally like. But I, I feel like even here it was... 
um, kind of like very kind of flat and lifeless most of the time. Uh, super flat, if you will. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there are some nice, like there were some nice, like very like Ghibli esque, like shots of like fields and stuff that were very pleasant and summery. Um, but aside from those and aside from some of the creature stuff is like, yeah, just very kind of like, uh, um, you know, shoulder height, camera point and shoot kind of cinematography. So what did you guys make of, so you have, you have the cult aspect that we talked about, right? And Mm -hmm. they kind of get proved right because they're like, oh, this university is doing all this evil stuff and it ends up being correct in the end. I wasn't sure if like I missed something or if that's just because, hey, there were two more stories he wanted to tell and we really just never got to see the end of it. Because the cult has a very negative connotation, pretty gnarly vibe to it. And then they end up being the lesser of two evils because you have these four people that are basically trying to destroy everything. Which is Yeah, the, but I don't feel like the cult is really like they don't have a big redemption moment or anything. Like they don't come in and save the yeah, day. Yeah, they they protest and that's about it. And then like, they're kind of forgotten about in the, in the climax. That's definitely true. I mean, it feels, it feels like the whole thing is kind of a, a, an idea soup from Murakami, all these things he wanted to incorporate. And then, I mean, you watch in pre-production too, like the first draft of the script comes out and, you know, they're all like, uh, okay, Murakami, we don't understand. <laughs> and he's, he's even trying to rationalize it a little bit. Like, you know, I think he tries to rationalize, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes, I, I think he tries to, like, like play, like, the dream logic card, but I, I don't think it quite works on that level. Um, no, I never, it, I never it, watched this and was like, oh, I, it's dream logic. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, another movie we're going to discuss where I feel like that does come into play a lot, but in this movie, you know, I just... Uh, yeah, I mean, especially because of how kind of, like, flat and basic and, you know, TV movie, a lot of it kind of feels, you know, like not quite documentary, but, like, it should feel like it should be playing out in a way that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I feel like I should understand how we go from point A to point B to point C, and I, I don't really. Um, I thought the cult was a really interesting aspect, but it just doesn't really feel like it does. Yeah, all. there's... there's... There's no payoff for that except like there's you have the confrontation at the end, but again that that falls by the wayside pretty quickly during the climax, and they're they're very much forgotten about. Someone and refresh my think, memory. Do, does the mom and the little girl do they get like kind of a happy reunion mo- understanding moment? I at any point. I you know I don't. I th- I thought that there was a sequence at the end where like, because the mother is trying to actually I thought she was trying to like save because she sees her daughter like around all the destruction and stuff but I don't remember them having a moment of understanding or coming together after that. I know I know there's a moment where Luxor, the like, the big the big dog thing saves her mother. Yeah, that's that's the one. And then she gets picked up and taken away by Oval, and then Oval is defeated, and then you have the little coda with the all the friends coming back. But yeah, yeah, but that's it. That's the whole. (laughs) I don't recall the mother. Yeah, ever really. I feel like that would have helped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that you know a big big chunk of it just has to do with like 
okay, what are what are different ways that a child can suffer? So that's that's why we have you know the kid with the dead parent from the tsunami. We have the kid who has a parent in a cult. We have the kid whose parents are just like physically abusive, and yeah. then we have the kid that just like is completely shut off from the world. And those are our um, those are our champions, so to speak. Yeah, and and the the kid that's being abused, he's like throughout the first act, he's like the bully. And mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's kind of a generic trope at this point. You know, you see it in a lot of things like Stephen King's It, and but there is some truth to that in that those those are very much kids acting out their own traumas and you know i mean that's where you get the kind of cycle of violence and you know cycles of abuse and you know it that seems like a pretty universal concept so that's another thing that you know yeah the the movie doesn't make too big a deal about it but um it, it was a nice touch to kind of reveal that you know, the bully was a victim, and, and you know, the movie slowly kind of turns him into uh, one of the, the the heroes. So, you know, I mean, if I'm going to say nice things about the storytelling, you know, I, I think that was a good a good touch. Which, which again, plays into the whole, like, mishmash of, of Japanese pop cultural influences, because how often do you see in your shonen battle anime... The guy that was the the villain is suddenly teamed up and working side by side with the hero against the bigger villain. Yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly correct. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Overall, I mean, uh, it's not like it's it's not a I don't I don't know that it's a terrible movie or it, or one that it's one of those movies where it's like yeah you know. Um, if you haven't seen it and you don't know what to watch on like a boring afternoon, put it on and you'll probably be like, okay, that was a, you know, that was entertaining enough for me to not regret watching it. So what I'm say- trying to say is it's it's just very average across the board, and um, I really do feel like, you know, maybe he should have just you know, been an ideas guy and hire an experienced, you know, professional director to actually make the movie. You know, I mean, he be a hands-on producer or whatever, but, you know, I mean, imagine, imagine a lot of these ideas in the hands of someone as skillful as, say, the Kaneko or something. And, the, the, the ideas are here, here are excellent. You know, there's, some really good stuff. I like the the whole idea of a, a children's movie dealing with the grief of Fukushima alone is great material. And absolutely, I, I, yeah, especially I, for a kaiju movie, right? Yeah, and I, I just feel like it was just kind of his his own inexperience, and you know, just I don't. I hate to say this. I hate to side with you know the studios. Aside from the whole aspect of like, yeah, they probably would have cut the cult thing. Yeah. This is where I feel like, yeah, maybe some studio interference could have made this better. I would disagree if they wanted to get rid of the cult aspect. But this is one of the things where it's like, yeah, you know, maybe like someone being around to like tell this guy, you know, hey, maybe this isn't the best idea. Or, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. I, I, I wish that they had waited until the next year to shoot it. 
Like, I wish, you know, they had the idea, they spend the next year kind of figuring out what it's going to be, and then they shoot it, as opposed to, here's an idea, we have to shoot it in, like, three months. <laughs> yeah, it, the whole, the movie, it, just in general, has a very, like, kind of piecemeal kind of flying by the seat of its pants feel to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I think I think if you haven't seen this and you also haven't seen Gamera the Brave, definitely go watch Gamera the Brave. It does a lot of very, <laughs> uh, lot of very similar things and does it much better. <laughs> like that, that, that same kind of, you know, children's, melancholy children's movie dealing with loss, you know, like... It, it depends on what you're going for. Like, sure. if if you are, if you're a Pokemon fan, like <laughs> yeah. this has got some real good like monster sure, fighting yeah, stuff yeah. in a completely different fashion from from what you're going to get in Gamera the Brave. This is true. This is true. But just just I feel like that kind of melancholy summer feeling though, like it, it does feel very similar to me. Yeah, which uh, is you know, which, which is I mean that which is is a good comparison. Uh, that 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 to me is a complimentary comparison, even if I think it's not as successful. I do I do really admire the spirit of the movie, even if I don't like the result very much. Um, it just it just makes it more frustrating. <laughs> well, as he says in the special features, he he was going to make a, a true children's film to the distaste of adults everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that yep. uh, is what happened. <laughs> uh, not yep <laughs> um speak, speaking as someone who enjoys many children's films that that definitely is what he did <laughs> um i i will say one, one thing that i did really like the flashback to um uh the father character the the dream sequence with the tsunami um yeah that was great really stuck out with me like i feel given how heavily given how heavily murakami like talks about how um ultraman influenced him and everything it really feels like it was ripped straight out of return of ultraman with the uh the the Sigurath mm-hmm. episode um like even even the way it's animated feels a little fuzzy and like it's an intentionally it's it's like an intentionally stylized composite to look like that kind of, you know, rushed composite job you'd get in 70s TV, you know. Um, and I really dug that. That was that was something where, you know, and, and I think going back to a lot of the practical effects, that's uh, something where I really feel like they could have leaned into the, the, the surreal style, you know, um, both with, you know, even if your practical effects aren't, perfect like you know, if they don't move exactly like you want them to i think it would have been nice to have more physical creatures and stuff yeah but but then of course i mean i think i think the fact that all the friends are digital i think it makes the cg work to a degree because they all feel kind of very ethereal um but then you have Luxor, who's this great practical soup but then is just kind of like sticks out like a sore thumb next to all the very ethereal <laughs> cg creatures it's very strange <laughs> um but. Well, the the one unifying thing is that all of the friends have a color timer. Yes, <laughs> I, I did. I did enjoy that. Um. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. We've we've talked a bit about this movie. I think. Uh, I think now we can maybe kind of get into 
the unmaking <laughs> of Jellyfish Eyes 2. Um, <laughs> the, the Criterion disc, and uh, you can watch it on the Criterion channel, does have the trailer for Jellyfish Eyes 2. Um, and I think that might have accompanied Jellyfish Eyes 1, even. And then, uh, or no, I think Jellyfish, the first movie has a trailer for 2, and then they shot a second trailer for 2, that's avail. That's a, a different bonus feature. Now, where I'm going with this is, um, they were shooting things and putting together that first trailer before this movie even came out. And then this movie came out, didn't do well with reviews, didn't do well at the box office, and then they were like, "Okay, well, we'll start all over again." And like right there is like, why are you shooting stuff for your sequel when this isn't even out yet? And then, of course, it's like, okay, well, now we gotta go, now we're just gonna start from the beginning. Um, his, uh, I don't, I'm not sure what the frequency is in which he's releasing these, but, uh, um, about a month or so ago, he did announce on social media, like, hey, the sequels are off, you know, canceled completely, and then, um, as I mentioned earlier, on Instagram, he's putting, uh, he's doing, like, a documentary miniseries on, you know, what happened, and uh, he shoulders a lot of the blame onto COVID, which no doubt probably has something to do with it, um, especially like Japan is seeing a huge resurgence in COVID, you know, the things aren't getting very easier, much easier over there. Um, so I, I'm sure there is a little bit of that, but it also part of me is wondering, like, okay, how much is this just like, you're just throwing money around and you just cannot sustain your <laughs> your own spending at this point like i i really do have to wonder that the the, the actors are all eight years older now due to covid right <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i mean like how much like i so i watched i've seen part part one and part three of that series i haven't watched all of it yet and like, it's just like i was i was amazed at how much behind the scenes footage there was immediately after they completed filming of jellyfish eyes one um i just i didn't realize that it was so extensive and it's just like wait how did they not finish the movie and to me i wonder if he's you know out of inexperience not because that's his process but it feels like like a Wong Kar Wai movie where he shoots it for like five to eight years right and <laughs> finds it all in the edit bay um which is just you know with Wong Kar Wai doing these very romantic you know, melancholy dramas, that's one thing. But it's very strange to be doing a, a science fiction uh, uh, action spectacle special effects film. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I did, there, I, and I don't remember, I probably should have tried to uh, find it again and kind of refresh my memory, but um, I did see an interview around the time the first one came out where the interviewer asked him about part two and he said it was mostly finished. So, again, I'm wondering if it's, like, does he just keep scrapping things and starting over? Like, I, 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 COVID definitely is involved, but I'm, I am wondering, like, how much is just his failure to un really finance the, like, to budget these things properly. Like, there, there's no doubt that he's spending way more money than he should be on these projects, and maybe with some oversight, you know, things pr might have been able to turn out differently for him. 
Yeah, I mean, he seems to to approach the movie making process very much as, I mean, as a fine artist, um, and and not in a good way. Um, just you know, kind of, uh, you know, even in the behind the scenes stuff for Jellyfish Eyes One. I mean, there's always kind of a push and a pull in pre production trying to figure things out. But with his inexperience, and it just he comes off a little capricious at times. Um, you know, where it's just like there, there, there's people like very politely being like, we need you to make a decision kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like it really does kind of feel like, like there's a lot of process of like shooting and scrapping is, is the, you know, again, I haven't watched all of the videos yet, but from what I have seen and what you're saying, it's very strange. Um, especially like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect to see, how much they had shot based on that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, like uh, I watched this and I'm like, why why is he being allowed to do like why is he allowed to do this? Yeah, <laughs> and like like how is how is there not enough footage to cobble something together to try and make back, you know. Man, uh, send 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 that footage to Roger Corman and he'll have five sequels. <laughs> he'll have five sequels pumped out in four days, you know? Like yeah. that. <laughs> There are people that are way more efficient with this. <laughs> at, at this point, at least send it to John LeMay, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can write a whole book about it this, at this point. It's, I mean, yeah. uh, a, a lot of Japanese productions are kind of done in this, this style where they, they film multiple installments at the same time, but generally speaking, they're things that have and I guess because this is kind of sort of based on Murakami's art, he can be like you know, this is this is just like Death Note or Assassination Classroom or Attack on Titan or something like that, where we can kind of tag on tag on the next movie while we're making the first one. But uh, um, when you're looking at little more independent projects, I mean, like like the Kibakichi sequel didn't go all that great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, it's not common to. Uh, to, to knock it out of the park on the second one. And especially when he's going back and doing all these reshoots, that's a, that's a trouble sign. Well, and, and too, like he already has such a, a shaky foundation from the first one. Like there's so many, like, like even like, you know, they did the first edit and the producer was like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they want to have to do reshoots on the first one. And then obviously we all watch it. And it's just like, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's all very strange. Um but uh yeah, no, I the that it really is though. I mean, just to know some things about like the independent movie making process and a lot of like okay, if you're making a movie, like don't do this. I mean, his uh his little mini docs that he's been releasing are are pretty interesting. I think there's four to date. I don't know if he's Okay, there's, there's five there's now. So, whoa wow okay um yeah. so i need to get caught up too but yeah no they're they're interesting watches i i would recommend checking them out even if you've never seen this movie or even if you watch it this movie and you hate this movie i mean it's an interesting look at a guy who is out of control <laughs> needs oversight uh yeah. and you know needs to be definitely be more conservative with his uh his spending um, but yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I, I'll look, I, I look forward to, 
going in and watching, getting caught up on that then. But, yeah, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, someone, I, I would say someone hire this guy is like a, a producer or a consultant on something. If, if he would be willing to do that, because like, there's lots of good ideas here and it's just like, you, you, you needed, you needed, he needed to take a back seat to someone who could make well, I mean, a movie better. <laughs> sure. I mean, honestly, I, I would, for as, for as tr- trouble as much trouble as I have with this film, I would be really interested to see him have another go, even at just directing straight yeah. up. Well, it, it's weird because like, that's another like to I I will compliment him in saying that if you were to tell me, hey, this guy who's just a contemporary artist is going to make a movie, this this it did turn out better than it probably had any reason to. I mean, it easily could have just been a complete unbearable mess of a movie sure. and it, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and so it is surprisingly competent in just that a first time director who is from the not from the film world was able to even make something watchable is a compliment but there's a lot of things that came with that experience that I think didn't go the way that it would have if it was the other way around <laughs> yeah um but yeah, I if I mean if it was announced that he was doing another movie, you know, hopefully he scaled back his ambitions a little bit. But like, you know, I'd I'd definitely be very interested, and I'd I'd love for him to to continue doing creature work because I know like the the Billie Eilish video that I just discovered, um, you know that that has you know animated Billie Eilish turning into a giant spider and attacking a miniature city, you know. So yeah, yeah. Like I, I would be, I would be curious because he, you know, he talks about how much he loves Ultraman. Like if he would visit the creature genre again, and or or what, you know, what if he got hired to design Ultraman monsters? Like he'd probably have some pretty out there. That and, would be and, wild, yeah. yeah, and wild stuff, you know. So that's that's the kind of thing that, yeah, I I, I would like to see him do more but, of. For sure, and I mean, because I mean, you do have people like like Keita Mamiya is also kind of the illustrator director combo, you know. So I I would be interested, I'd be interested to see more from him, even if I didn't like this movie very much. Yeah, because uh, you know, again, the in the instinct, uh, the ideas are there, for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Kevin said he will be right back, but. This is also where we would probably end this episode anyway. Um, so I don't, <laughs> uh, so we can either come up with some filler conversation, or if we can't, you know, I can always chop this part out. But uh, Matt, let's hear more from you. You've been been a little quiet lately. I, it's hard. I mean, I think you guys have hit the nail on the head, and there's been a lot of the, the film is piecemealed together. I actually, really like the the. Uh, comment jared had about it being like idea idea soup because there's a lot of stuff that i'm like hey this is kind of neat and then you don't quite get the payoff at the end what i like about it though is i kept thinking to myself watching this the whole time i watched it late one night and i'm like man i think landon and, and uh, our foster daughter would would love this and uh I, I think the creatures work overall really well 
and I enjoyed the battle sequences. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I kind of liked Pokemon as a kid, so I can totally see why any child would also enjoy that. So did, did you um, watch it with, uh, with the kids? No, it was, I was up late watching it. So that's why they, yeah. they missed out. So I will go back, <laughs> but I, I think that's why I probably liked it more than you guys did is because I'm like, Oh, my kids would love this. And for me, that's, that's a big part of the enjoyment I get out of some of these yeah. movies. That, like, well, this is well, one of those I things have... where like, I would have, if it had an English dub, like I can't do the thing you and Tom do where you narrate these foreign <laughs> things to your kid. Like, I mean, she wants to watch a, she, like she loves Ghibli. She's like, I want to watch. I actually think she fell asleep to Kiki's delivery service. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure I hear that playing in the room next to me, but, <laughs> but yeah, she's like, I want to, I'm like, okay, English dub, you got it. You know? And you know, every now and then, you know, she'll be like, uh, you know, put on a Godzilla movie or something, and I'm like, uh, okay, uh, let's see. Do I have this one in English? Well, not, okay, let's not open you know. The criterion package then, because oh no, <laughs> no, um, let's not open that box at all right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I can't just even for like an Ultraman. I don't even know how you guys do it for like an Ultraman. Up, it would drive well, me crazy. To be fair, I translate like every. <laughs> I translate the gist of what's going on. Like it's not. But they're always like, what, what are they saying? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it it's doesn't fine. matter. <laughs> yeah, there's not, especially for Ultraman Ace. Um, <laughs> whatever no, they're no, thinking actually, in, whatever they're thinking is probably more sensical than whatever is actually going on in Ultraman Ace. That is true. <laughs> and and we, we watched, actually, that's what I was uh, doing with Landon, putting him to bed, and we watched episode, like, 42 of Ultraman Ace, and he was like, what, what's going on here? What's going on there? And, like, it's just... But this is a movie. I think the mon- the jellyfish eyes, the monsters have that appeal, and I think would be watching it through like a kid's eyes. Like, yeah, it's it's fine. It's not great. It's very average, and it's incredibly flawed. And there's ideas that don't pan out as well as you would hope them to, hope they would. But I I really loved the final battle. I love the weird looking monster oval or whatever it's called at the end. The the um, giant fetus. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, that's what it's based on. <laughs> um, so how many uh, how many giant fetus monsters out of five would you guys would you guys rate this? I'm going to start with uh, Mr. Faust. Uh, this I out of five. I, yeah, I've been thinking about this for the past couple of days. Honestly, I'd probably go with like two. Um, and 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 partially, I, I go pretty. I skew pretty negative partially from my own disappointment given just how excited I was for the movie and how much I honestly negative because I respect a lot of the behind the scenes, <laughs> you, you know? <laughs> so when the result is just kind of, kind of a muddled mishmash, it's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, um, it's just not something I would go back to anytime soon. You know, like I have it like, you know, comparing it again to Gamera the Brave, I have issues with that film, but I also think it's a delight. <laughs> and I'd watch it any day of the week, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah. Two, two out of five uh, giant CG fetuses. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, a th- you know, in my mind, three is like, a, it's fine. It's average. So I'm, I'm going to give it a three, especially for you know, the children's audience. Um, it is a, it is kind of a damn shame that there's no English dub. And that's part, probably part of why just, 
you know, I, I, I feel like part of that is because they, both in the U.S. and in Japan, they were probably just really trying to sell it as a Murakami piece instead of, hey, this is a kid's movie, this is a something you can, you know, take your whole family to, and, and so that's probably why an English dub doesn't exist, but uh, it really should. I do dubs at all. Well, yeah, yeah, well, I... I feel like there might be one or two releases, but did, Kevin, now that you're back with us, do you know if this ever got a dub anywhere? Uh, anywhere? I'm not sure about it. I don't Doesn't do you know if an English, English dub exists? Uh, I'm not. I'm not aware of one. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's just they just could have done better with actually marketing it to the proper audience. I think, and yeah, I mean, if this had a dub, it would be a no-brainer to to show kids, especially ones that are into Pokemon or Godzilla or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I'm gonna give it a very uh, a, a very average three, in that you know, there's nothing offensively bad about it, and you know, if if you've never seen it, you probably won't hate yourself for watching it. But it's just kind of there for me. Um, so, uh, Kevin, since you just uh, came back what what would you what how many mutated fetuses or something <laughs> would you give it out of <laughs> out of five i don't quite remember what we said <laughs> sure uh let's uh you know maybe maybe i'll give it uh out of uh, out of five life form resonance inner energy negative emotion disaster prevention systems <laughs> uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be way more generous than than y'all uh, because I am a five year old uh, and give it a uh, four and a half. I oh, watched wow. this, oh, I, I watched wow. this with, with college undergrads and uh, we just like had a total blast. You know, nice. um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's really it's energetic. It's it's zany. It's unpredictable, uh, and I I like the monsters. So you know I'm. I, I I I'm not viewing it perhaps as critically as I should, but I uh, had a had a damn good time watching it. Yeah, I think uh, I'm more in line with like I gave it a three on my letterbox, but like thinking about it, if Landon was down here with me watching it, like I could have seen myself giving this like a three and a half. So it, it's it's a strong three for me. Like it's if you have kids, like I would say even seek it out. There's a lot of a lot of fun that can be had with it. The monsters are incredibly charming. Um, and I think that's the one takeaway that I had. Like, I, I just felt kind of enamored with all the creatures and stuff. Like, I, I, you know, storytelling be damned. I, I really enjoyed what I was watching. And I think that's the biggest strength, despite a lot of flaws. And For sure. So, yeah, I'm going to go with a recommendable three. Yeah, I, I will say one of, one of my favorite things about the whole experience of absorbing the movie and its making of features is... Uh, watching Murakami in the behind the scenes, he has these just like these grids of character sheets, and he's just like sketching ideas for friends out, you know, on the fly. And it's just that part is was really fun to watch him like just kind of imagining the friends on the go, <laughs> you know. All right. Well, um, I think that pretty much wraps up Jellyfish Eyes. Um, anything anyone wants to add? Going once, going twice. All right, I will take everyone's collective silence as a no. Um, <laughs> so thank you for listening. Um, Jared, Kevin, thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, we will see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.